to read the first line of the song, because um, this is our prayer this morning as we get ready to worship. It says this, is come thou fount of every blessing, uh, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, they call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And <clears throat> today we all come from different places in our life, you know, some of us are probably thrilled to be here, some of us may have things going on, you know what I'm saying, so, but this morning my prayer for us as the gathered church, as the body of Christ, that we would say this thing, very this very morning, was that God would tune our hearts to sing about his grace this morning, even if we come in here and our hearts aren't there, our prayer is that God would tune our hearts to be there, um, because we have received from him streams of mercy never ending, so let us sing together. Come thou fount of every blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. The streams of mercy never ceasing. The call for songs of loudest praise. Psalm chapter 3. If you want to look on the screen, I put it up here. This is the chapter James is preaching out of this morning. So um, let's read this. I'll read it to you. It says, O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with a voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down to sleep. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. 
I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. And just as David's foes increased and many around him sought his life, he did not fear. He acknowledged that God was his sustainer and sovereign over his life. And in our lives, we may not have people that are seeking to kill us. Hopefully not. Um, but we have people that seem to just come against us sometimes just to cast us down. Why? I don't know. Um, we have trials and tribulations, things that happen in our life that we can't explain. We don't know why. Um, but as we continue to sing together, let's affirm with David that our trust and hope is in our sovereign God. And let us affirm that God is our sustainer, that in times of trouble, he is the one who holds us fast. He's the one that fights our battles for us. Um, we're going to sing a song that I don't know if you guys know or not. I know that you guys have never done it here. It's called He Will Hold Me Fast. It's by the Gettys, the same people that do in Christ Alone. Um, so if you want to just stay out the first verse and chorus, um, they're all the same, the choruses and verses. Um, and then when you, whenever you um, get it, you can jump right in with me here. So. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will me fast. And I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, and He must hold me fast. And He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, and He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, and he will me fast. And he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, and he will hold me He bled and died. Christ won me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He won me fast. Raised with him to endless life. And he won me fast until our faith is turned to side when he comes at last. 
Continue our reading from Psalm chapter 3, um, verses 7 through 8. It says this, Arise, O Lord, and save me. O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be upon your people. And just as David, I mean, just as God vanquished all of David's enemies, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, God has defeated our enemy, sin and death primarily. For we all sinned, and that sin separated us from God. And the introduction of that sin brought about death. Although we all may die, we will surely be raised to new life by the power of God. The very same power that raised Jesus from the dead will one day raise us. Therefore, death has no hold on us. This salvation is a work of God in our life. He sent Jesus to die for our sin. God on the cross died for our sin himself. And then he offers this gift to us freely. The victory of sin and death can only be ours in Christ. For the scripture says that there is only one name under heaven and earth that has been given to us by which we can be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we continue to sing, um, let's sing this song. It's in Christ alone. You guys do it often. Um, for it is in Christ alone that we have this hope, this salvation. It is by his death that we have hope and life. So let's sing this morning. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm and what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are sealed, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones he came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God is satisfied For every sin on him was laid 
death of Christ I live. There in the ground his body lay, the light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the death of Christ I stand see no power of hell no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hands till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand. Amen. If you guys would pray with me. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this morning, God, for the opportunity and the privilege and honor it is to gather as your body, um, to lift praise to you in song and to worship you, God. I pray this morning that as we continue to worship, that the preaching of the word and that our listening and responding to the word would also be worship to you, God. That not only would we hear the word this morning, but we would take it to heart and that you would soften our hearts to receive it, that we may apply it to our lives. So as we get ready to hear the word, God, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would give us strength and grace to do all that you command. We love you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Father, we come now and just want to ask you that as we continue to worship you, God, that you open our hearts and our minds up to the words that you have for us, God, but also that you give us the ability, God, to see it out throughout our lives, God, that as we not only hear your word being preached, God, but we apply it to our lives in the way that you are calling us to, God. I pray that it's a comfort to us this morning, but it's also a challenge to us when we go through these times in this life as David finds himself in. God, I just pray that you just uh, do a work this morning that only you can do, God. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you. In your son's holy name, amen. All right, so Psalms chapter 3, um, what's going on is David. Uh, David's the one 
uh, I hope that doesn't bother y'all. David's the one that is uh, writing this psalm, um, and it's really pointing back to 2 Samuel 15, 13 through 17. So I want to read it, and then I'm going to tell you the story of everything that's going on. 13 through 17 says this, Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever the Lord your king commands. Then the king went out with all of the household after him. But the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out to all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. I want to pause there, and we could read a lot more because this story really goes from chapter 15 to chapter 18. Uh, but I just really want to get what's going on. Uh, this is it's talking about David, the King David. Uh, and Absalom is his son. So I want us to understand that um, the issue that's going on right now is that his son uh, is the one that's trying to overthrow his kingdom. Uh, but really, to put a backstory of everything that's going on, when we look at David's life in 2 Samuel, uh, all of the issues that he's going through right now, it really began whenever he stepped out and saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. Uh, and we all know that story. We, David steps out and he sees Bathsheba bathing or sunbathing, however you want to word that, uh, and, and he lusts after her. And so he goes and he sleeps with her and they bear a child. And so after they bear a child, um, he kind of realizes what's going on. So he takes her husband and he puts him on the front line of war for her husband to be killed. So David, he, he, he looks at this woman. He's lustful. He sleeps with a married woman. He kills her husband. Uh, they bear a child. And then it all comes to an end at the death of that child. Uh, and when this happens, uh, we see that David, um, he mourns the death of his child. Then he goes and he's comforted by his wife. And then they bore another son named Solomon. Solomon's a huge part of the future uh, lineage of David. Uh, but that's not the important thing this morning. But then after that, we get this picture of Absalom. Absalom, he goes and he kills his own brother Amnon. All right, so after he kills his own brother Amnon, he leaves Jerusalem and uh, he flees from there. Uh, and that's when he begins to, uh, it says in Scripture, that's when he begins to plot against David. Uh, and in this, he plots against David and plots to take his throne. And then after he starts to plot his throne, that's when we get to 2 Samuel verse 5, chapter 15, where he, he, his plots come to an end, right? He's actually putting this into place, and he's trying to take over the throne of David. And then that's where we pick up here, where David in fear flees from his throne. He flees from his palace. He flees from the royal city, from the holy city. He flees from Absalom. Uh, and then when you read through the story, uh, 16, 17, and 18, we see a lot of things happen. But just to give us an overview of how it ends, is that God uses the Canaanites to kill Absalom for David. And so in 2 Samuel 18, 31 through 33, it ends with Absalom's death. And we see even in that moment that David grieves his son's death. After everything that's happened, he's not so cold where he doesn't grieve his son. So when we look at 2 Samuel 15, 13 through 17, and we look at this story of what's going on, why it's so important is this is the moment where David wrote Psalms chapter 3. 
in this moment is when the, that he puts this down on paper or whatever he had in that time period. And this is what's inspiring what's going on. Uh, and then in this psalm, he's actually reflect, reflecting on the past enemies possibly. Uh, we see that he has a uh, confidence in the Lord through all of this. So as we get into it, um, I wanted to uh, just point out some things about Psalms chapter 3 that we're going to talk about. Uh, so if you looked at Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel with me, we're about to go into Psalms if you want to turn there. Um, but what we see this, we see five different uh, breaks in Psalms chapter uh, 3. Uh, we see that first thing that David does is he complains to the Lord. Uh, and there's some significance in that I want to talk about in a minute. But he complains to the Lord, uh, and that's verses 1 through 2. The second thing is found in verse 3 where he confides in God. The third thing is that uh, David is satisfied with God's provision. The fourth is that David trusted in God through his fears and through his enemies. And the fifth is that David gives God all the glory, glory to God alone. And, and this is the breakdown of what's going on here, and it's so significant. And really, I want to look at, uh, for our context this morning, I really want to look at the last three verses more than anything. Uh, but let's start in verses 1 through 2. It says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying, my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So the first thing that David does is, says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Uh, the first thing that we see that David does is he actually he complains to God about what's going on. Uh, and this is, uh, I think this is just a natural thing that goes on. And if we think about our lives, we would do this too, right? When we find ourselves in difficulties and hard times uh, and persecution and all of these things, what we tend to first do is complain to God. And this is what David does. He, his foes are against him. His own son is coming against him. And so what does he do? Is he first, he complains to the Lord. And we really think about this word as complaining is this really negative thing and it is to some extent um, but in this what he's really doing he's expressing his concern to the Lord about his foes about his son rising against him he's, con he's concerned about what's going on uh, and then in verse 2 it says many are saying my soul there is no salvation for him in God um, and really what makes that so important is that Absalom, Absalom, he actually thought that God did not want David on the throne any longer. He thought that he was going to win this battle. He thought that there was no salvation in God. See, Absalom, he knew what God had already done for David. He was a part of David's life. It's his own son. He's seen what God has laid out for David to be on the throne. And Absalom actually thought that he was going to win this battle. He thought that he was going to come up and defeat David. Uh, and if you were here last week, we looked at Psalms chapter 2. And what we saw was that David was the anointed king of God. That God put David on the throne. So Absalom thought that he was going to win. That he really thought that God wanted Absalom off the throne. And so these two verses really lay the foundation of really what's going on in the Psalms. Is that David complains to God about everything that's going on. Um, but I want us to pay attention to what happens next, is that David doesn't live in this complaint. David doesn't live in his circumstance and let it defeat him. What happens is in verse 3, it says, But you, O Lord, are my shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. But David, he didn't live in complaining about his circumstances. He moved from complaining to confiding in the Lord. He understood that if he was going to become victorious over the circumstance, that he knew that it was going to be what God, 
was going to do and in God's power alone. He not only complains about the circumstance, but he confides in God to take care of it, to handle it, to work out God's will in it all. He, he confides in God. Um, and really what we see in this too is that not only does he confide, but why does he confide in God? And this is a common theme throughout all of the verses, is that David knew where his strength and salvation was in. David knew that his strength and, and salvation was going to be in God and God alone. He, he knew it wasn't in his own power. And if you think back to David's life, we see this unfold, right? You think about, uh, well, don't look at the Bathsheba and all of that. But before that, you see that how David, you know, he gets picked from the lowest of his brothers and he, he gets picked from the lowest because that's who God desired. And then even later on after that, he, he finds himself uh, in a battle scene where he's the only one that's going to go up against the Philistine. And David being a young, small man, he, he knew he wouldn't win that battle unless God was with him. David understood this concept, and we see it throughout his life. And that's what he moves to. He, he, he complains. He, he, he throws out his issues with what's going on. But then he confides in God to take care of him. You see... But what does he do with this? What does he do with this understanding? Um, does he just go back and, and go back home? And, and, and does, he, does he just look at this situation lackadaisically? Does he, does he really consider what's going on? Or what does, what does David do in this moment is really what's important. And that's what we see in verses 4 and 5. Let's read verse 4 first. It says, I lay down and slept. Uh, verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. What we see is that David knew that God was going to take care of the circumstances. David knew that God was working out a plan and a will and all of this, but he still prayed. He still communicated with God. He still talked to God about his circumstance. He, he still cried aloud to God. Um, and so really the significance I want to pull from that is that, you know, we may know that things are going to work out for God's will and, and He's going to help us in all circumstances and all difficulties, but we're still called to pray to God. That's what we see in First Thessalonians, that we should pray constantly. It's this idea that even though what's going on, the difficulties, God may be working them out, but we still should pray and communicate to God about them. Um, and the second thing we see in verse 4 is that God not only heard His voice, but He answered to Him. And the first part of it is amazing to me uh, is that God even hears our voices at times. Think about who we are and, and, and just how we're made up and how corrupt we can be at times in our sinful nature and that God still hears our voice. He still listens to us. And the amazing thing here is that he still answered him. And we just talked about what David got into, right? Uh, you think back to all, if, you were, if we're honest, you think back to your own life, you've probably never um, had another man killed, right? for the sake of your lustful desires. David was a sinful man, and, and God still listens to him. God, God still saved him, and that's the same thing he does for us, is that even in our sinfulness and our wretchedness, God still saves us. And this is just an amazing concept, and he listens to us. He takes care of us. And then verse 5, it says, I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. Um, as I was studying this, you really can't find the significance of this other than the fact that God sustained him. But I just want to point out something that I think is possible of why it's so significant that David lay down to sleep. He, 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 it says that he lay down to sleep. That, to me, is just, there's no reasoning explained, but to me, one reason that could be significant is that David had faith that God was going to provide in this moment. 
Think about it. If, if you were on the run and um, think about even to the concept if your own son was rebelling against you to kill you, um, it would be hard to sleep in that moment, right? It'd be difficult. You would be stressed. You would, you would be worried. You would be concerned for your own life, but you'd also be hurt in a lot of different ways. But David understood that God was working this out for his will. And so what happens is that David, he, he has faith that God's going to take care of it. God's going to sustain him. And that's what we see that happens. He says, I woke again for God sustained me. God took care of him. God sustained him. So what we see in verses 4 and 5 is that um, David was satisfied in God's provisions. David was satisfied in who God was, but it's amazing how God listens to David in this story. Then verses 6 and 7 says, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. I want to side note here. I love how he ends verse seven. If you just listen to the the just the way he puts this picture, he says, "For you strike the enemy in the cheek and break the teeth of the wicked." Uh, now, I think of Rocky. I don't know what y'all think of, and this is random. Didn't plan on saying any of this, but I think about the movie Rocky and how it ends, and or even Karate Kid. And it's really cool that it, he uses this analogy and how he explains how God's victory is. But anyway, let's get back on track. All right, verse six. Um, the first thing we see is that David says, I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. The, David's first thing that he allows God to, to win this battle over and to triumph over is his fear. Uh, and really the, the significance in that is, as I just talked about, is that David could have been struck by fear. He could have not moved forward. He could have been so fearful that, that he wouldn't have done anything, that he didn't trust in God to overcome it. And fear is a thing that holds us back so often of doing things. Uh, but he trusted in God even to the point that he would not fear. Uh, and David was a king. He was a king, and there was literally thousands of people that would have been coming against him in his life and in this time period. Um, and he says, I will not be afraid. I will trust in God. And the second thing is that David becomes triumph over his enemies. But it doesn't say David did it. It doesn't say David won the battles. He says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all of my enemies and on my cheek and break the teeth of the wicked. David knew how he would win the battles. He knew how he would become victorious was through God's power and through God's will alone. And that's the only way he would win these battles. That's the only way he would be sustained is by what God was doing in his life. Um, and we see this, and we see that David understood this in his own life. Um, and so he trusted in God even to that point. And that's what we see in 2 Samuel verse 18, chapter 18 is that God came to his deliverance in the moment. God saved him from uh, the enemy that was at hand. But I love, I love how he just says he breaks the teeth of the wicked, that God, God delivers for David in this moment. So David, he did not allow fear or his enemies to defeat him, but rather he trusted in God in deliverance. And then verse 8. Verse 8 to me is one of the most important verses that we see in this scripture. And to us, it points to the, the biggest issue that we have in our life. And, it, and it's so uh, instrumental in our lives today. So verse 8 says, says this, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. David, he, he, in this moment, he explains everything going on. He talks, he complains, he, he confides in the Lord, he trusts in the Lord. 
he prays to the Lord, he sleeps and rests in the Lord, he, he depends on God's deliverance. And then in verse 8, he says, salvation belongs to God and God alone. Salvation belongs to the Lord. David understood this. David understood that God was the one doing the work in his life. And David here, he says that God is the salvation alone. And, and what's so amazing about this is um, even though we all understand the concept that God gets all the glory in our life because he does all the things, but David could have easily took the, the glory from God in this moment. Think about David's life, and you read throughout his story, uh, the people were actually singing songs about David slaying thousands and things of this nature. David could have allowed this to went to his head. David could have took the glory from God. He could have, he could have took the glory from killing, killing Goliath. He could have took the glory of destroying his own son. He could have took all of this glory, but David understood something, and he sings it here, and he tells it to us here, is that salvation belongs to God and God alone, that he he. Allow, he didn't allow because he understood that God belongs, all glory belongs to God. The second thing we see here is that it says, Your blessings beyond your people. That's a promise, I think, that points to even to us today. It says, Your blessings beyond your people. Ultimately, I think that would go to salvation and our biggest enemy, and we'll talk about that in a second. But also, in our moments of difficulties and things of that nature, it says, Your blessings beyond your people. But I want us to be clear about this is that this isn't saying that we're going to have a perfect life, no issues, no problems, no struggles, and no uh, things that are going to just be, uh, that are just going to come up. And it doesn't mean that even in our struggles, we're going to be delivered from them in this life. There's no promise about any of that in Scripture. But what we do see is that God will take care of us in His own will and, and for His own glory. So this is a promise that points forward. And so what we see in all of this, is that David finds himself against his own son. And in this moment, he, he complains to God, but then he reflects back on his life. He reflects back, and he sees what God has already done, and he trusts in God in this moment. He confides in the Lord, he prays to the Lord, and he rests in God, and he trusts God for salvation in this moment because he understood that his only deliverance would be through God. But what does that mean to us? Because as Jacob said during the worship earlier, not many of us, if any of us, are having people want to kill us, right? Um, raise your hand if somebody wants to kill you. No? Well, sometimes your wife or husband might, but that's a different story. Um, but we don't deal with that, right? We don't deal with that kind of enemy. We may have people that are against us and maybe people that maybe think negative of us or speak against us in times. But we don't have the issue that David was going through here. Um, it's a different time. We're not a king. A lot of things that go into that. So what are our enemies? Um, and this, this could go a lot of different directions, but I want to talk about three of them. Uh, and the first one's the biggest enemy that we will ever have in this life, and it's the most significant and most impactful thing uh, that we could ever talk about. And then the second two are a little different. But the first one is that the biggest enemy we have is our sin debt. It's something that we could not win and defeat on our own. The, sec the second one is the difficulties of this life. And the third is persecution. So as we transition into what, how we apply this to our life, I want to first look at our sin debt. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. It says this, And you 
he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins, and in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the powers of the air, the spirit who no uh, works and the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show exceedingly riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It, it, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So uh, really when I read this, I don't want to get an exhaustive ex uh, study through this, but I want to point out some things about it. Um, the first one is found in verse 1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sin. And, th and Paul, is he's talking to the church of Ephesus, and he's talking to a church, right? So he, he's explaining to those that are saved. He says, You have been made alive in Christ who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul is explaining that because of Christ, we were made alive in our trespasses and in our sin. Um, and, and really how that connects to us is that if we're here and we've been saved and we've come to this knowledge of who Christ is, then this is what has happened in our life. That it says in if you go on and read, it says that we were dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive in them, that we, we are alive in our trespasses because of the work of Christ. Uh, and he goes on to explain that. It says, God being rich in mercy, even in our trespasses, made us alive in Christ Jesus. That if you're here and you've come to know Christ and you've accepted this salvation, then what has happened is you've come alive in Christ, that you've been saved through Christ. If you are here and you haven't come to this knowledge, then my prayer is that, that you respond to the Holy Spirit when he calls us, is that, and you come to this knowledge of who he is, because this is something that is our biggest enemy. This is something that we can't defeat on our own. And that's what we see in this as well. In verse 9, he says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand where we should walk in them. It's not, it's not, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by attending a church, sitting in a pew, singing a song, reading the Bible. We're not saved by any of those things. We're not saved by the way we live or anything of that nature. What we're saved by is Christ and Christ alone. And so what he's saying here is that it's not by our works because we could boast in that and we can't boast in that. And so it's a gift of God and God alone. And so when we look at the salvation, we cannot obtain this in our own power. It's not possible. We couldn't begin to do it. And if we did begin to do it, we would lose in the first part. We, we, would, we, would, we would fall so quick. And so this is what we see our biggest enemy in life is our sin. Because if we don't overcome this, and if, if we haven't been saved by Christ and come to this salvation, then really one or two things about it is one is God take care, takes care of his children, right? But if we aren't his children, then we don't have a deliverance in the difficulties of this life. If we aren't his children, we don't have a delivery in the persecution. Uh, but what we see in all this is the biggest issue is that the sin debt causes the eternal death. And with that eternal death, we have no hope and we have no joy or peace or anything of that 
But because of Christ, we can have that. We are offered this. And so that's what we see. First and foremost, our biggest problem is that sin debt. Um, there's a guy named Propaganda. Uh, y'all probably never heard of him. Um, but he, he, re- he writes spoken words, poetry, slash rap. Um, and he actually, uh, it actually may not have been him. But anyway, he wrote a, a line one time. He said that we wrote a check that we could not cash. Meaning that, um, I hope none of you do this on a regular basis, but meaning that you write a check, right? If you write a check, like if we write a check to shop and save back there, and we write it for $200, and we only have $100 in the bank, what happens is they're going to they're gonna charge us probably $35, $55, something like that. And we wrote a check that we couldn't cash, right? We, we wrote a check for an amount that, 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 that was too much and more than we actually had. And our sin is the same way when we sin and we fall from God and even the sin that we're born into, we write a check that we can't cash. And because of that, we have to have somebody to cash it for us. And that is what Christ did on the cross. Uh, Look up that spoken word if you're into that. It's really good. The second issue we see is the difficulties of life. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says this. In this you will greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that in the genuineness of your faith, becoming more, uh, much more precious than gold and perishes, though it is tested by fire, many be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ. Uh, really what we see at the end of verse 6, it says, uh, you have been grieved by various trials, the reason I look at this one instead of uh, some of the other ones that we find in James and even in Paul's letter is that when, I, when we were going through this on Wednesday nights, when we look at this, he's actually talking about the trials of this life. Uh, when you look back at the Greek and things of that nature, we see that he's talking about the trials of this life, and, and that could be various things. That could be uh, sickness, pain, uh, loss of loved ones. That could be multiple different things. Um, and, and God provides it. Because you think about David's moment here, not only was Absalom was really going against God's throne, but he was going against David, and, and there was a lot of things that went into this, right? He was, in, he was in this trial and this difficulty in life, and what we see is that God uses these moments in our life. First and foremost, it says at the end of verse 7, um, that though being tested by fire, many be found praise, honor, and glory, and revelation of Jesus Christ, is that God uses these moments to develop and to mold us to be who he's called us to be for his will and his will alone. And so when we find ourselves in these trials, God uses these moments. Uh, But also we will find ourselves in some trials uh, of this life that God will uh, bring us out of, just as he did David. He will bring us out of these trials, uh, and it may be something small, it may be something big, but he will save us in these moments. But there are some trials that we will face in this life that we may never overcome that we may never, on this side of, of heaven, we may never overcome them and, and be redeemed from them and, and be saved from them. But, as in Christ alone, sings at the end of that song, but we look forward to what is to come. We, we look forward to, to salvation. We look forward to uh, eternal life in Christ Jesus. We look forward to heaven. And so we may not, be over, we may not overcome these situations today or tomorrow or even in our life, but we will overcome them one day. There are some things that are just going uh, to be a part of our life. I think about Paul, and what we see in Paul's life is that he says, 
time and time again that there's a thorn in his flesh that will not be removed. Or, and there's a lot of theories of what that could be, but also when we look at Paul's life when he comes to conversion and Christ comes and reveals himself to him, Paul, he tells him straightforward then, he says, you will be persecuted for my namesake. Paul understood this, and what we see in Paul's life is that he lived in that persecution throughout his whole life. He did not overcome that in this world, even to the point that he was beheaded one day at the end of his life. So there will be moments that we go through these difficulties of life, and we may overcome them, or we may not, but ultimately what we have to understand is that God uses these moments to develop us. The third thing I want to talk about is times of persecution. Uh, if you want to turn, I'll be in John 15, 18. Um, but times of persecution, this is a hard one for us to wrap our minds around at time uh, because in America, uh, we don't have persecution like there is in other places. Um, but I want to read John 15, 18. It says, if this world hates you, you know that it hated me before, I hated you, before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you itself. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Um, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and uh, it's really comforting, right? He, he's sitting there, and he's preaching to them, teaching them, and he says, look, the world's going to hate you. No matter what you do, the world will hate you. That's just, uh, if you want to uh, just encourage a group of people, that's what you would say, right? You want to make them happy, you would just say, oh, yeah, by the way, the rest of your life, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. That, it, it's not, right? It's, but it's a reality, is that we're going to go through persecution in this, this life. If we live the life that we're called to live, persecution's going to happen. It may be a little different for us in America. It may be uh, being made fun of, not having those friends, or different aspects of things. I'm not sure. Or it could be at some point, like the rest of the world's going through, being beheaded and stoned and things of that nature. Uh, but I think about that is that sometimes we overcome them, right? Sometimes we can be come out of persecution, and we see that in different missionary stories. But I think about Stephen, uh, Stephen of the New Testament. He is um, the first martyr that we see in Scripture. Uh, and Stephen, he, he died by being stoned to death. Uh, and if you know that story, you know that his, he didn't get pulled out of that. He didn't come out of that persecution and live afterwards. Stephen died by the rock. And what we see in the entire time that he was being stoned, what he was doing was preaching the gospel in it. He was doing the work that God called him to do in it. And then at the end of it, what he says is, I see the throne of God. Is that Stephen, in this moment of his death, he was delivered from it all because he saw something greater than anything else. He saw the throne room. He saw Christ. And, and because of this, Stephen was delivered from it. We may not be delivered in an earthly way uh, from our persecution, but ultimately we will be delivered one way or the other. So how, to, how does all this mean? Uh, how do we, what is going on in all of this is this, is that when we look at David's psalm, we see that it ultimately, through all of it, he trusted in God and salvation. He knew that his strength and his deliverance was in God and God alone, and that God would save him. In our lives, it's no different. Is that first and the first issue and the biggest issue we have in our life is our sin, and God has saved us from that if we come to know Him. He, he's already offered that to us. And, and if you're here and you know Him, I want to encourage you to, to be bold in the second two things of life. Be bold in your persecution. Be bold in your trials. That God is going to take care of you either now or in the future in your death. That some, one way or the other, it's going to be okay. 
we just have to endure for a little bit of time so we can have the glory of it all. But we also see is that our sin debt is one thing that sometimes people don't come to understand, really. They, they may have said a prayer, they may have walked an aisle, but they may have not really been saved. They may, may have not really come to this knowledge of who God is. And if that's you, if you're here and, and you uh, may have said something and, and you thought you've been saved, or maybe you're here and you've never come to this conclusion, I pray that God calls you this morning and you respond accordingly. But also what we see in all of this is that David, after all of this in his life, David went and did the work of God even after. So ultimately what we have to do is trust in God and salvation, trusting God in our, our circumstances, but also we're called to do something with it. We're called to take this same deliverance to the world around us. If we come to church and we hear God's word being preached and taught and uh, sung and all of that, and we just soak it in, then it's pointless, right? It, it comes to a point of where we're just soaking in God's word. And if we're not going out and living it and sharing it with the people around us and doing what we're called to do, then there's an issue. So this morning as Jacob comes, I uh, really want to just ask you, first and foremost, if you come to the knowledge of Christ, if, if you called on his name in true salvation, second thing is do you trust in him in these moments? Do you know that he's going to take care of you in the difficulties and the hard times? That's what David did. Uh, but we also see what David did in this time of difficulties. It's, as I've talked about this before, it's the psalms. They were actually something that they would sing at times, right? They would sing these songs. And that's what we see in David's life and in the psalms is that he praises God for the victory. If you're here and you've got victory in Christ, if you're here and you've come to this knowledge and salvation, then in a second, Jacob's going to sing um, I forget the name of the song. He's going to sing it. And uh, first off, ask God how you need to respond to his word this morning. And then second off, let's praise God for the victory we do have. Let's, pray God, let's praise God for the salvation that we have and in him and him alone because we have no other hope. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for this day, God. We thank you for all that you are and all that you uh, have done for us, God. And because of you and you alone, we have salvation of our sin. We have hope in our difficulties. We have hope in our persecution, God. And I pray that we're living a lifestyle that should bring on persecution. So often we don't have persecution because we're not doing anything to deserve it. I just pray this morning we respond as you are calling us to God and, and that we praise you in song before we leave I love you, I praise you, and I glorify you in all things. In your son's holy name, amen. Amen.